Welcome to the Candidate Experience Talks, a 15-minute deep dive where we explore real-life candidate experience tactics through honest talks with experts in recruitment and talent acquisition. With me, Sima Vanessankel, let's go! In this episode, meet Sarah Emily Oates, a talent transformation leader with experience from working in senior roles at companies like Booking and Uber. She's worked for several Series A to Series C startups like Ambos and Ciego. At Ambos and Ciego, she transformed and improved how they work with candidate experience by collecting candidate feedback. In this episode, she will share what exactly they did and what her efforts resulted in. Hello, Sarah Emily, and welcome to the Candidate Experience Talks podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. And you have a background working in HR and candidate experience in places like Booking, Uber, Sago, and Amboss. And you have implemented working structured with candidate experience in, I know, Sago and Amboss. So I'm throwing the first question out there. Why is it important to work structured with candidate experience? It's a good question. I think for me and for for most businesses, COVID has brought to the forefront the importance of listening to your customer. Uh, Not least currently, I'm working actually in the e-commerce space and there again, it's really come up. But I think in our case, our customer is our candidate. And I think for multiple reasons, it's very important to listen to what they're saying. It's not just about optimizing their process, but it's also considering the positioning you have of your brand in the market but also then your potential for having detractors in the market if you have a poor experience, which will really go against you, especially in the startup space. You don't want to be known as the company that doesn't take candidates or their uh, potential time use for an application process seriously. So that's why to me, especially in this space, it's very, very important. Yeah. So, so, so bringing up working structured with candidate experience, do, do you get any questions internally from management and so on? There's certainly questions that have come up. So after letting the tool run for a little while where we're collecting lots more feedback and then taking it back into the business together with some recommendations on, for example, expediency of process. So if you have too many steps or if you're taking too long to decide or if there is now a complaint about the length of time that people are taking in order to complete an assessment, it's not an inclusive process. If you take this kind of feedback to the business, they're not always thinking about the end result of the candidate and how they feel. They're thinking about how important it is for them to find the right person. So I've definitely had some pushback there where I'm trying to condense people's processes or I'm saying, you know, this eight step process isn't necessary. We can make it four steps. This is how you do it. Um, I think essentially it comes down to explaining the importance and, and showing them the importance of having people in the market that advocate for you rather than against you. And that's what you don't want. Uh, and and then the, the difference in feedback also then directly will show up in other areas of your hiring. So people might refer their friends. Your referral program works better. If you treat people in, in the way that, that you would expect them to, which includes also your feedback process, which is really important, which is where I've had quite a lot of, of feedback. Certainly that the 24-hour turnaround that we're asking for isn't reasonable. Well, it is reasonable. And here's where it's important. And so there's definitely been some pushback where people believe that the time impact to them or potentially the quality of assessment of impact to them could be adverse. 
but there are ways around it. And it's just about making sure that you're listening to your internal customer as well to make sure you're putting together something that works for everybody. You, you touched a bit upon uh, on the process and how you have implemented working with candidate experience. Uh, please tell it a bit about uh, the implementation and the process and everything. So I think one of the the better examples that we had was actually during my time with Ambas. So we looked at one particular division and they certainly had the worst score as well, which is why we made them a priority. And we were looking at what people were saying about the different steps of the process. So one of the complaints is that the time and stage was too long which I agreed with. We had one of our roles actually exceed 150 days of hiring, which obviously is suboptimal to say the least. Um, We also had some complaints about the people that were representing Amboss throughout the process. The issue wasn't the people. The issue was that the candidates felt that it wasn't the right people. So the manager of this role didn't meet them until the very end of the process. That is problematic, especially when you're hiring a senior level person. So we picked up on these different pieces throughout that process that were particular to this division. And we went back with this feedback and then made recommendations. So we condensed the process. Um, We took two steps out and baked them into the rest of the process. We also had the very senior level person that was in charge of this hiring actually do the first step. Then we had them walk through other areas of the process, such as assessments or case studies. And then at the end, we had them meet again with, um, with this person. And so it really showed quite a, a distinct turnaround. We also we reduced the time to hire in this division by um, about 15 percent in only four months, which I think is a great impact. Um, but it was also it, what was also really important to us is how much more engaged the hiring managers were with us. Right. So because we turned around, so is that that's that's what ultimately resulted in a, a full turnaround of both customers. Oh, that that's incredible! And so, would you say that the first thing uh, that you would recommend is to to collect some feedback to know what parts of the organization, because not all parts uh, maybe have a, a bad score or need to improve. There might be some parts of the organization that already uh, function very well from the candidate's perspective. So, so, so first step would be to uh, identify where you need to prioritize, and the second step would be to uh, dig deeper into. Th- the feedback on that part of the organization and make the specific changes which you mentioned. Precisely. And then essentially choose them as a guinea pig, yeah. <laughs> would be my advice. <laughs> so use them as your test case to see are some of these things working and then you know, re- read back your data from there. And you're quite right. There are different parts of the organization that function differently. And so a longer process might work very well for one of our divisions or a longer take-home assessment might work very well for other divisions, but it certainly didn't for this one. And so that's why we made the change that we did. Yeah, and and uh, and talking a bit about feedback and the feedback culture, how would you say that the, these organizations uh, and and the people, of course, in the organizations reacted to to working with feedback? The feedback was always there. The problem was it was inconsistent. So it would sometimes come in via Slack. Sometimes it would be a text or a WhatsApp to the recruiter. Um, sometimes one they would create a debrief. One person would take all the feedback and then pop it into the system if we were lucky. But the problem with that is it leaves you open for bias. It leaves you open to inconsistencies in your feedback. Um, there, there, are, there are many issues with it. Also, if a candidate, as they can, especially in the UK and actually most of Europe, a candidate can request their whole file to be removed or to be sent to them. So you want to be really, really careful that your, your feedback touches on the important themes 
so that you can make a clear difference between why someone was moved forward or not. And so the importance of feedback is definitely something that was raised for multiple reasons, not least legal implications. And so actually, when we coached um, both actually at Zigo and at Amboss, when we coached our hiring managers and interviewers on how to interview, how to prep for an interview, the last module was how to write feedback, how to write feedback that's not biased, make sure it's inclusive, exclude gender, that's not important. Don't talk about things like their family if they volunteer that information. What we want to know in the feedback is, do they have the skills necessary for this job? Do you see them being uh, having longer term potential in this organization? Do they show us the right values and the core attitudes that they have? The other piece to this is also timing of feedback. It's not just the quality of it. So we want to make sure that we're feeding back to people within at least two business days. And so having people take a week or longer to provide that feedback has immediately a very detrimental effect on the candidate and their experience, especially in a market like right now, which is very candidate driven. You can't afford that kind of delay. And so that's another piece that's very important. The final piece is the medium of your feedback. So if you've just had an initial conversation 30 minutes via Zoom, I think it's fair to say that an email is acceptable. So by sharing an email with feedback that we won't be moving forward, that's, I think, plenty. The other piece that we need to look at is as someone continues to invest in your process, are you then also considerate of that investment when you're giving feedback? So for us, we have a really strict guideline, which is that when somebody gets to final interview, they are also offered a phone call with a full explanation as to where they could make improvements in order to be considered next time. So I think there's, there's yeah, there's three different elements to feedback and why it's important, right? So um, hopefully that gives you some more idea about how what our approach has been and actually how effective that has been uh, in the previous two organizations I've been working yeah. with. I- I th- thanks for sharing. I think this is uh, important parts, and I think uh, many organizations want to learn from from uh, from how you work with this. So, a, a bit about your role, because I know uh, you you you're not a recruiter in these projects. You've been more uh, on the strategic level, not performing interviews and part of central part of recruitment processes. So, what has your role been from the strategic level? Well, they've been kind of varied, to be honest. But over the last few companies I've been working with, it's been looking forward into the inclusion strategy for hiring, but also longer term. So onboarding and pre-boarding. Obviously, it's building out a talent function. So, you know, what are the kind of metrics that we should be looking at? How are we collecting our information? Do we have the right ATS and other tools in order to be able to deliver that? Do we have the right people that make up the team? Um, So a lot of my time is actually spent hiring for my own team, which is also fine. It's great. I love uh, recruiting recruiters. Um, On top of that, there's also been quite a bit of exec coaching. So when it comes to putting together the right leadership team for an organization, especially in the startup world, I think it's really important for founders and and, sort of early level CEOs to consider what really makes up the best leadership team for them? And the answer is it's people that cover the deficits that they have. So it's helping them understand their awareness of what they're really great at, but perhaps where their skills are not. And so that's what we need to supplement when hiring um, teams and the importance of impartiality. The other piece that I've also been working on quite a bit is rolling out training, both unconscious bias training across all interviewers, but 
also just general interview training, how to talk to candidates, how to prepare for an interview, how to write feedback. And so I've spent a lot of time training trainers of this. And so now they have in-house trainers that are also part of the talent acquisition team. So it's been very varied, to be honest, coming from legal into recruiting, moving now into this. It's been a really exciting transition. And I, I, I can understand collecting feedback and getting to know what the candidates for that type of organization want has helped you throughout everything here. So, you know, these are the expectations from the candidates. So when I train managers in interviews, I know what the candidates expect. I can communicate that and, and everything related to that. So you've mentioned a lot of specific improvements uh, that they've had done in, in both organizations at Sago and Amber. So what have been key learnings here to achieve these results? Well, include everyone in the change, I think, is really important. So you want to make sure that your talent team is included. You want to make sure that your business and your interviewers are included. Show them where you're going and give them updates. So keep them in the loop when you see improvements make sure the praise is there. You know, it, it's changes sometimes painful for people. And so it's really, or at least difficult. And so I think that's a way to really ease that process. The other piece that's super important, and I was very lucky because I had full buy-in from leadership teams across multiple clients, but most notably Zigo and Amboss, is get the exec on board. Explain to them why it's important, get them to reinforce it, make sure that they are supportive of you in meetings. So in Zigo's case, they had me speak at the all hands about why we were doing things, what our initiatives were, what the time frame was, why it's important, how to get involved. Um, and the same at Amboss, you know, there was a lot of opportunity for us to share more with other people what we're doing. I spoke several times at our leadership meetings about this is where we are, this is where we're going. So get them on board so that they can advocate for you and give you access to a group that maybe normally you wouldn't. Do, do you have any hacks on how to get uh, executives on board and, and so they also can promote it or any, any thoughts around that? Any hacks? I think it really depends on the leader, right? But um, data does talk to people. And so take your data with you. Take that information. And very occasionally, and only in small doses, this is really important, but sometimes use something that is quite shocking to them. So in one previous client's case, I took a very low offer accept rate and I cross-referenced that with the hours wasted of these people not accepting. And that was really shocking. And I don't do it often. And I certainly wouldn't advise that every single time you want buy-in that you go in with this shock value. But in that case, it was incredibly powerful because they immediately recognized the impact it was having across the business. It wasn't just for talent but we were wasting X number of hours per pipeline with business hours of interviewing. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they knew what they, they would do with those extra hours. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Especially in growth mode or this, uh, because a lot of the startups I've been working with recently have been sort of that um, Series B, Series C, maybe Series D. And so time is of the essence. They're in huge scale-up mode. And then if you have these 10 wasted hours in a week, I mean, that's that's huge, especially in tech. You can't really afford that kind of time wasted. So I think, yeah, shock them occasionally, not too much because you don't want to lose that relationship that you're building. But I think giving them the real honest version of, hey, this is really, really bad. This is why I'm worried. This is what we can do. And immediately uh, that particular leader jumped on it and said, okay, what can I do to help? And I said, well, actually, I need you to motivate the rest of your leadership team to motivate their people. 
because it can't always be me. And uh, they did. And I, have, I was really impressed. I think that's a good thing as well. I, we, we don't only want one person, the one with the initiative, like in your case yourself, the one with the initiative being the promoter and promoting it. If you can have more people on board, that's that's great. And what, what has been the reaction uh, more from the recruiters, seeing the data, working with the data and everything? What's been the reaction there? I think, again, it really depends on the person. So I have had people who've been initially a little resistant, but when you dig a little deeper, it's often because they don't quite understand how. So a lot of coaching um, has definitely turned that around. One person in particular, Ambos, actually volunteered to take on the data project because she wasn't so secure in her knowledge of how to use it, which I think is an incredible move in self-awareness. Um, but overall, they feel like they have direct access to making changes And the teams I've worked with have been very motivated by moving the needle, even if it's four points. And it's something that we continue to celebrate. So I think it's, it's you know, tell them why it's important. Tell them where the impact is. Tell them how it helps them and link their performance to it as well. And that is something that I've done. So in terms of their KPIs and the metrics that we measure every quarterly check-in, these things all feature because it's really important that it's truly baked into their own operating model as well. We're going to wrap this up with three quick questions, Sarah Emily. And uh, the first one is your, what is your favorite HR tool? I would have to say Pecon because it gives you a dashboard and it, it enables you to ask and, and chop up data by, by lots of different ways. So I, I really enjoyed working uh, with Pecon. Great. And what's your favorite HR metric? Time in stage of a candidate. I think it tells you a lot about your process. And your favorite book slash content? I've trotted this one out a lot, but Culture Map by Erin Meyer. It's excellent for people to understand how to work with different cultures, especially important when considering feedback and how you might offer that. So for anyone that works internationally, I think it's a, a super important read. Mm. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Sarah Emily Oates. It was nice having you in the Candidate Experience Talks podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and hope you liked it. If you'd like to learn more about candidate experience, feedback, and HR analytics, we can help you get certified in candidate experience through TrustCruise online course. Go to trustcruise.com course and use the code SARAHEMILY to enroll the course for free instead of paying $29. So go to trustcruise.com forward slash course and use the code SARAH dash E-M-I-L-Y, Sarah Emily, to enroll for free. Don't forget to subscribe and review us in your podcast app. Until next time, take care and turn those candidates into promoters.